Welcome to Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert, a podcast sponsored by the Healing Lives Center. Discover how to love and lead your family well and biblically. God created sex, marriage, and the family for our stewardship, growth, and benefit. My heart and passion is to teach, train, educate, and disciple Christians that want strong marriages and families. The Healing Life Center has been serving Christians since the year 2000. Its mission is to be a center for sex, trauma, and marriage education and transformation, where we offer counseling, coaching, courses, and speaking services to you, your church, or ministry. Check us out at HealingLives.com. Welcome to the Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert podcast. Today we're going to give you a, a session that I did um, to a group of college students on how to date and marry well. This is a model that I learned that really is helpful in, in the conversation, but my heart and goal is that we live biblically and that we do this well. This is an area that's not going well for so many young people. We're not dating well, we're not marrying well, as marriages are weaker than ever. Um, so li- listen in and may you learn something and grow in your strength and in your ability to date and marry well. Blessings. It's a pleasure to be here. Love it, love it. So I have a class, um, it's called the Let's, Let's Talk About Sex, the Let's Dating Marriage. Um, it's actually seven hours, so we're going to try to cram that in the next <laughs> half hour. Um, so, if you, just if you're interested, but um, yeah, that's that's where kind of this is going to come from. My heart and passion is that we do marriage well. Um, I am so tired, it's so heartbreaking to see so many couples who are not doing well, struggling, uh, trying to just stay together. If that, but others that are maybe where some of you are at, you're going, if only. <laughs> I would love to be there. I would love to have, I like that holy grail of, of marriage, if you will. And what's funny is once you get to marriage, it's just started. Um, I'm at 19 years, 19 and a half years of marriage, so I'm right. just getting started. So just barely, like an in infancy stage. Um, and wouldn't trade my wife for anything. She's been a lifesaver and a godsend and a best friend. And so that's. That's, I mean, that's it. Um, so we're going to talk about how today. How do we get into that? What, what does a healthy relationship look like? Um, going from no, no one, no prospects to um, then building a healthy relationship. So a little bit about me. Um, this is where I grew up. I'm from Tempuco, Chile. I'm um, Chileno de Corazón, Chilean from my heart. But um, my first English class is my senior year of high school. When my parents forced me to move back to America and walk into a public high school for the first time, and God help me, this is in the <laughs> early 90s. Um, I hated my parents, I hated the world, I hated everything. I attempted suicide a few times. I'm glad I don't succeed at everything I do. Um, and I went into college the next year, so senior year, and then uh, I think that senior year saved my life in the sense of you know, going into that stage of life in college. Um, and then there's the whole girl thing. <laughs> oh, girls. And how do you navigate that? I didn't do it well. I didn't know what to do. Um, this stuff was not talked about. Um, fast forward, I actually got married years later. So college went by, and then that was a no. And seminary, which that's not where you go to find a wife because the numbers just go. <laughs> that didn't work. And then yeah, I graduated and I'm in private practice as a marriage counselor doing counseling and sex therapy and I'm a single virgin and God has a sense of humor. <laughs> but add on to all that my own questions and confusion. 
if I were a teenager today, I fear what the culture would be forcing me into. Because this was me back in 1992-93. Love my mullet. My hot pink everything and purple and I crochet and cross stitch. I was a music major in college. Everything about me was, I didn't know who I was. Ironically, that's most teenagers. <laughs> uh, most college students for that matter. And today, I, again, I'm really worried what would be, what would be pushed on me. And it really breaks my heart for what kids are facing today and what should not, questions they shouldn't be asking. Um, because no, I was not a girl, but everything in me felt like one. And it's so cool because you know when I started making sense? When I met my wife, who is so a guy, as in these stupid stereotypes we have. My wife is a former paralegal, and a very her counseling method would be two by four across the head and go get over it. That's my Mine is I'm the shrink. I'm the emotional one. I cry at everything. At every commercial, I cry, and they laugh at me every time at the end of cars. I cry when um, now I forgot names. It's been a while. My kids are older. When he goes back and pushes the other docking you know, or whoever he was you know, through the finish line, I cry every time. And my wife points and laughs. That's her loving self. And so it's funny to think of that persona, and then this is me now. That's my baby. And then I couldn't leave her like that, so I had to get better pipes. <laughs> they on campus are like, yes, we know when you're here. Because <laughs> now I don't have those pipes, now I have big trucker pipes, they're awesome. But the thing that I never thought would happen for me was this, the best day of my life. But right here, when I met my wife, I was walking with a cane, and I was told I would never have a job, and I was told by doctors that I would never really do anything. I have Crohn's, I have an autoimmune disease, I have health issues that just you know, fight me all the time. And that day, our wedding day, I even delayed the wedding a little bit instead of her. Huh, I'm the girl. And um, because I had sent one of my friends to get me another 2,500 calorie smoothie just trying to stay awake for the day. It was my second one, and I was just hanging on. And to go from that to then, um, it's funny what happens when you get married. You start reproducing. <laughs> We didn't think we could have kids. And it was such an incredible thing. My wife was so mad when she found out when she was pregnant the first time. Because she had resigned in her heart that we would not be able to have kids. Uh, and that's so cool what God does. These are my three experiments. Alex, Blaze, and Miley. Um, this is our family picture. Where's it at? There's our family picture for the, um, for the church directory. Because that fits our personality a little bit. And years later, we got a better one. Uh, and now they're growing up. Which is crazy. And what's crazy is that I'm thinking of when I was sitting there at your age, my heart's longing was to be a dad and to be a husband and to build a family and to do it well. I had great parents and I had a great example to have adventures, but then again, that curse of your love would never do anything. Um, I've gone backpacking. I ride a Harley my, this past Saturday. I spent 10 hours on uh, Hoodoo with my oldest son. 
um, skiing, things that I never thought I could do. And I don't take that lightly. Every one of those things are a gift of things that I honestly thought I could never do. And all of this, what it's led me to do is to me a biblical sexual ethic and why it matters. It matters what you believe and it matters what I believe and how that shapes us and shapes our decisions. Why does sex belong in marriage and has no place outside of marriage? Why did God create marriage to be one man and one woman for life? Why, did, why all this? Because the culture says it's just society. It's like, no, it's actually scripture. The Bible came into a culture that was male-dominated, women were chattel, property, and the husband had a wife at home to make a son, an heir, and would go sleep with anything and everything that moved around me, from servants to, and just think of how disgusting that is. Ironically, I feel like that's the direction we're trying to go. We want that old dream. The Bible came in and said, no, husbands, love your wives in Christ of the church. Sacrifice yourself for them. Your body isn't your, hers. Or her body isn't hers, it's his. His body isn't his, it's hers. Why it was blowing up an ethic that ironically is actually the ethic today. Of, hey, whatever goes. Polyamory. Oh, enjoy. Multiple people. It's all no, no harm, no foul. Mm -mm. So what I want to show you today is the model of dating. How do you do this? Now, that word dating is loaded with a date. Prearranged social engagement? Better, more or less? Hanging out when you're by yourself? What's uh, this other word? Courtship. Ooh. What's courtship? And so one of my friends and colleagues, um, Doug Rosenau, and, and um, he just passed away this past year, he wrote um, this book that really helped unpack this and, and I want to kind of give this to you, these, these words, a different vocabulary. I'm going to start with this one. So think of a bridge. And think of this bridge. You're going to go from single to married. So on one side of the bridge, you have connecting and friendships. And what's the goal? Which, by I mean, the goal we get on the other end. It's just started. Anyway, covenant, marriage. That's, the, that's what I want to get to. How do I get there? How do I go from just connecting what you're doing now with everyone, friendships, to covenant with one for life. If that's your goal, I mean, if you're not careful, if you think of even marriage, what is that? It's this incredible, like, thing that we almost hold up when what it actually is, is it's really hard and it's so worth it. But it's worth it when we learn to actually get along and we learn to do life together. Because here's a scary part about you that I know. You think you're right about everything. <laughs> so do I. We're selfish bent. So I, don't, I actually don't know how any marriage works. Because if I think I'm right and she thinks she's right, then okay, we have a problem. So what is marriage? Marriage is two people going, I want to listen to you. I want to get to know you. I want to understand more of how you think, feel, see the world, experience the world. And it's a relationship. And what does it do? It changes me. It is so beautiful. And so we are able to build something that we're actually proud of. The beauty and purpose of marriage. What is that? Let's, let's look at scripture to start with. What is the beauty and purpose of marriage? So here's the first verse. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. 
God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. The scripture is clear about that. There's a consequence too, and marriage is actually a sacrament. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure, and he receives favor from the Lord. There's something beautiful about that. And yes, men and women are very different, and there's a different way that God unpacks what that looks like. Masculinity and femininity, husband, wife, and marriage in Scripture, which is really important. It is better to live alone in a corner of an attic than to live with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. Amen, amen, amen. Preach it. <laughs> It's crazy what some people put up with. And what's crazy is these seeds are there while you're dating. You can see and you can ask questions and know prior to a wedding. And so we need to figure out what those are, which we'll look at. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure and he receives favor from the Lord. A wife... A worthy wife is a crown for her husband, but a disgraceful woman is like cancer in his bones. He paints a very clear picture of this is supposed to be something wonderful, but when it's not, the phrase I use a lot is, I hope you married well. Because <laughs> a lot of people didn't marry well. They are not with a partner that they can do life with. It's constant tension, stress, or it's someone who has serious problems, and that's a whole different story. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. They'll be unequally yoked. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? You know, if, if you told me that you have fallen in love with someone and we go, oh, wait a minute, but they're married, I hope you would have a boundary there. <laughs> you think? You find out they're married, boundary, I feel this, but it doesn't matter what you feel. But it's interesting when we say, oh, I've, I've fallen in love with this person and they're not a believer. It's the same boundary. It's no. It doesn't matter what I feel, I don't enter, according to Scripture, I don't enter into that relationship. And ironically, this passage even refers to business, business partnerships. I don't connect myself in a way that actually, I mean, this is scary. We have a different ethics, a different worldviews, different, and this is a really, really critical partnership. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Which, by the way, there's your instructions. Husbands, he gives up his life for her. Haven't you read the scripture? Jesus replied, they record that the beginning, from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two at one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. These are our instructions on how to build. So that's that covenanting, which leads to this, which is such an awesome picture. What a great My For Christmas, my daughter found the video of our wedding, which we would never be able to see because the tape's broken and they took it somewhere and got it digitized. I got to watch it. So you can guess what I did. <laughs> you can guess what my wife did. So sad. <laughs> so cool. God is amazing. What is this covenanting? This word covenanting. Think of these different words. And like a good preacher, whoever put this together, and I've added more P's to it, but what is meant to be marriage? First one first thing I'd say it's actually about procreation. 
We have actually turned it around and we made it about this other word here, pleasure. And I understand it's talking about sex and talking about that, the beauty of it and how healthy of it is. And it's like that to me is second to it's meant to be the only context in which we bring children into this world. And praise God for grace and praise God for, uh, I have a sister who's a single mom, praise God that that child wasn't, oops, you know, slipped through. No, God's beautiful, God's wonderful. But pleasure is a part of it. Procreation is actually a big part of it. Partnership and protection and perseverance. Think of these words and how important they are to building something healthy and strong. Because this is hopefully what you want. If not, it's time to study. If you don't know what you want, you need to study as to, so what is it that I'm looking for? So going back to connecting though, so back to the other side of this bridge, you, right now, what is it that you need to do? And a big question is this one, who am I? You need to actually really assess where you're at a lot of the work of where we kind of feel like we need to go out and start dating, it's way more of an internal work of growing up with the man or woman that God wants you to be. It's the relationships you have. It's the roommate situations and the struggles you have. It's how you handle a test that you haven't studied for and do I cheat or not. So your ethics, your morals. Um, it's how you handle temptation, how you handle money, all these things. But another big one, I mentioned this word a second ago, is this one, attraction. The reason why I put this in here is, to me, this word has gotten way too much attention. Like, whatever you're attracted to defines you. I'm like, no, it doesn't. Whether I'm gay or lesbian or bisexual or whatever else, it's like, that's not who you are. That's a part of you, and we're all wired in different ways. Just like some are attracted to different looks. If you can guess who I was attracted to based off where I grew up, and you look at who I married, you should laugh a little. Because it's like the opposite of everything. I picked the whitest of white people and a redhead. And I grew up in Chile. And so it's interesting to look at that and look at, even when we met, we met online, by the way, which she hates when I share that part, um, at um, equallyoaked.com. That's fun. <laughs> she emailed me too first. Like, you made the first move. She said, no, I just raised my hand. And we started talking for a week. And our first date, at the end of the day, we shook hands and said, I said, can we have another date just to be nice? And she said, yes, just to be nice. Because, yeah, on the first date, you don't share your whole life story like I did. <laughs> I'm dying. Doctor said I'll never. Like, yeah, you don't want to do that. Zero attraction on both sides. Within a month, we were talking marriage. Because what God did in her heart and what God did in my heart, we were married 10 months. From the day we met, 10 months later, we were married. And the way that God orchestrated all those pieces was absolutely incredible. I was stuck in my dissertation. I was having, I was in and out of hospitals. In our 10 months of dating, I was in a hospital three times. Um, it was a very sobering stage of our life. But here's an interesting piece that I was using at the time. So I had come across this book uh, written by the uh, founder of eHarmony, back before eHarmony, um, called, uh, the first title of the book was called Two Dates or Less. And I remember going, how stupid is that? How can you know in two dates or less? 
And what he was saying was you should be able to ask certain questions if in, in two days or less where your heart isn't being given away that really rules out most people. And so then he rewrote the book, or not rewrote the book, changed the title page, but The Date or Soulmate, which I don't like either, the title, but um, that's the new title. And he proposed that there's this way that we actually can be more intentional. And some of you will like this, some of you will absolutely hate this, but it actually became very helpful for me. Of what are my must-haves and can't-stands? What are my absolute non-negotiables about the kind of wife that I wanted to be? I wanted to have. That I wanted to have, and I actually have that list. My wife found it not too long ago, and it was a fun conversation because it had other girls' names written on it and check marks. <laughs> that was really fun. <laughs> I need to go get that sometime. Just like she'll pull out my old journals and just read and laugh. I was like, are seriously they have issues. But <laughs> we should do a counselor. Oh, never mind. Here's the top five, top twenty-five bust hats. When I look at this list, to me, I kind of go, well, all of them. <laughs> like most of these, I can pick. But the goal is, what are for you, these absolute non-negotiables. And as I started narrowing these down, I started realizing that there were some absolutes that I had not thought through. And if you're dating someone, it's hard to build this list because you're almost going to try to make it mirror the person you're you're dating. You have to almost be in a place where you're not. There is no one. But over years, I remember I started kind of massaging this list. Like one of the at one point I had on the top of my list must like motorcycles. And then I realized, you know what, I could give that up to the right person. Luckily, I married well, and so I haven't done that. So, but um, this is your rules for formulating your must-have list. So you decide what you rank as your top ten, and these have to be absolutes. So if you were on a date and you had these ten questions, let's say, and it was a no on one of those, it doesn't matter what your emotions say. We're done. Tap out. It's it. It really protects your heart. Why? Because I don't know about you. I don't trust my heart. Because it doesn't lead me in directions that are always holy or healthy or godly or good. And I don't think I would trust yours either. And so this is a place to start, to think through, to pray through. This is very much a, I would say, a very prayerful act of what would these look like? And then here are these top ten can't stands. Like how, if this person that you're dating has had multiple sexual partners, but you're, you're in absolute no way on that, then that would be a deal breaker. But for someone else, they would not feel that way about someone like that, with that past. Or if they had children already. Or if they smoked. Or if they drank. One of mine was actually alcohol. I wanted someone who had never had a sip of alcohol. Already at that point, I had seen so much devastation from alcohol and had an uncle die as a drunk and lost his whole family. I, to this day, I've not had a sip of alcohol except NyQuil, and I won't do that again. <laughs> I don't go there. Am I curious? Goodness gracious, yes. It's everywhere. I'm not going to go there. One of the reasons why? I don't do things halfway. I would make an awesome alcoholic. <laughs> I'm not going to just kind of dip my toes. 
Like I order the mon box cases of monsters by like the multiple cases per month from Amazon. I don't go halfway, I go all in. <laughs> and I'm learning to taper back. I used to be at four a day, now I'm down to less than one a day. See, it's like a smoker. <laughs> what are yours? What are your must-haves and can't stands? This helps you then know, well, wouldn't it be amazing if only one person walked across that bridge and became your spouse, your, your partner, your best friend, your covenant partner? Because for a lot of us, we've walked a number of people across that bridge partway and it hasn't gone well, which means our heart gets ripped out. I was engaged twice before I met Kelly, and my, I felt like I went through a divorce. It was so horrible, one of them. It was, it was the end of my world. And what was crazy was she hands me the ring one day, walks away, and that night I have clients to see. And that weekend I had a, a marriage retreat at a Spanish church in Spanish to do all weekend. I hated women, I hated marriage, I hated God. But what I learned that week was God was saying, just be faithful. Corey, you don't do the work. He does the work. And I watched God do things that week where I had no strength in ways I could never have done it that reminded me of my place. <laughs> that I'm not that awesome. He is. And that was really critical. Now, continuing on that must-haves and can't-stands, here's what he kind of proposes as seven significant similarities. Are you, are you spiritually in harmony? Do you desire for verbal intimacy and the ability to be intimate? If one of you is closed off, you've got a problem, and this isn't going to go well. Your level of energy could be one. This isn't must-haves. This is, could be. Level of ambition, your expectations about your roles, interests, personal habits. Now, what I hear from a lot of young couples is, we're so different. I don't know how we're going to make it work. And it's like, that's the you're supposed to be different, sexually different, first of all, man and woman, who come together and is, who are vastly different in your likes and interests, and that's what actually changes you and grows you. But I, my happy place is the snow, and I have someone who won't go near it that I'm married to. My other happy place is concerts and, and um, theater type stuff, and my wife tolerates it, but she'll read a book to read in case she's bored. <laughs> We're very, she reads literature, like actual books from like dead people from a long, long time ago, like all those, like Shakespeare and other stuff. And which makes her an amazing homeschool mom. But I could care less. Don't like that. So are we incompatible? No, no. She enriches my life, and I enrich hers. She pushes me, I push her. We try new things. Like she brought me tickets to the Blue Man Group one day and she brought a book and didn't read it. She actually enjoyed it. <laughs> um, and same for that Wicked uh, play, uh, theater. That was incredible. She was not bored. It was kind of nice. Uh, and we push each other. We, we grow. It's what it's meant to be. So in this connecting, as we're heading across this bridge, how do you discern good character? Their behavior and stressful conditions. You need to see them under actual stress. I mean, you could create that form if you want. <laughs> Not recommended, but life. Which is why Neil Corn and others say you should date for like two years. I don't think that's a magical number at all. But his point is, 
that over two years it's really hard to put up a facade. Mm -hmm. My understanding the reason why it's two years is because uh, when you meet someone, you can get a chemical reaction where basically that person uh, is it's a pleasure to be around, and around two years is when that is going to be born off, and so you can tell like it's called cocaine brain. And the reason why it's called cocaine brain is because when you're in lust, infatuated with someone, it lights up the same center as the cocaine lights up, as in you're high. <laughs> Don't make decisions when you're high. <laughs> but for it to last two years, you're lucky if it lasts two years. It doesn't tend to last that long. But the thing is, it's stressful situations. Are they, how are they around not getting that promotion or getting a really bad grade when they thought they deserved better? How are they when they were passed up for something? How are they when fill in the blank? You, you watch them. And if you're watching them with open eyes, the goal is, I'm going to be doing life with this person. And can I partner with them even in the most stressful situa situations? Their reputation with others. Talk to their roommates. I had a pastor in Texas said that he wished he could tattoo. He, he worked with thousands and thousands of singles in this big, um, every week, this big conference that they would do or a weekly seminar. He said he wished he could tattoo on some people's foreheads, unmarriable. Because <laughs> honestly, just talk to a few roommates and you go, uh uh, not him, not her, no. It's true, actually. I think it's one in 25 people, so one in 25 that are actually sociopaths. I mean, we get the guys to go commit those with that murder in, or those murders in Idaho, we act like that doesn't exist. How many, how many um, school shootings have we had this year already? It's ridiculous. Those people are sitting next to us just a few years earlier in school or in class or even in church, right next to us. Like, so we need to be careful who we partner with. So reputation with others is important. And this is another interesting one, obedient to authority. How they respond to people up in authority around them, whether it's the police, whether it's parents, whether it's a boss. Are they going to work well? This is really important. So then how do you know when, it's, um, when you're ready to begin crossing this bridge? And so there's no magical age. It's an attribute of the heart. Which is why there's some people that they've met the person they're going to marry in high school, and so it's logical to marry you know, right out of high school. It really is. And others, sorry, no. That's, it's not your time, if you will. And, I, and I've been a part of a lot of conversations where it's, you know, sh should I now? And if I get married now, I lose my scholarships or, or my parents just own me. Like, there's some really big reasons to, okay, maybe we need to wait. But there is no magical age. The truth is, is you're entering into something that's bigger than yourself. And it will be difficult, no matter what age. And we'll look at a reason for that in a second. Um, when you're willing to stay single, rather than compromise your convictions to actually build a covenant marriage. Be committed to being single. So are you called by God to be single? And the answer, by the way, is yes, if you're single. <coughs> Until you're notified otherwise. It wasn't that you like being single. You are single and you deal with the station you're at. Just like if you were divorced and you didn't want to be, same thing. You are now single again 
You didn't choose that, but you deal with the station you're at and you become the best version of yourself. So this stage across the bridge, coupling, that's what this is. We're gonna go from connecting to coupling to covenanting. What is this? This is exclusivity, it's romance, it's dedication to the process of moving down the continuum towards covenant marriage. We're being intentional. This isn't we've been dating for two years and we have no clue what the future holds. No. Day, day three or four, we were, my wife and I were already talking about, are we heading towards marriage, yes or no? Like, there was not a, we're playing games first, and then we'll see. It's intentional that we do this with the intent of either heading to marriage or, bless you. And it's this, this is the imagery that I have. Think of backpacking. These are my two weirdo kids. This is us going up Oak Creek. Um, a backpacking trip with our Boy Scout troop. 12 miles. I was walking like I could barely survive by the end. Um, Mackenzie River, my son. Is this video going to play? No. It did. Oh, it stopped. Anyway, my wife got mad at that picture, but he's so close to that. It's like, yeah, he's fine. Um, <laughs> This is what we do when we go into marriage, though, for some of us. We are walking in a marriage with multiple sexual partners, multiple mistakes, multiple struggles, and we're not okay. we got a lot of stuff to deal with. Can you still do it? Absolutely. This just going to be a little more difficult. It really is. And ironically, one of the things that I do now with couples is I, I, my goal is to build healing marriages where you really see that God... Put you two together, and it's he is meant to grow you, her, her, and she's meant to grow him. Like there's just this beauty that God created in the design of marriage, if we let him, as in God. But how often we we get in the way? We don't, we don't let him do that. So going across this bridge, there's three pieces of this. And like a good pastor, there's a lot of C's. Considering, confirming, committing. So what is this? This first one, considering. It's still a connecting friendship. You might have a lot of people you're kind of considering. You're prayerfully considering, either separately or together, you're doing this. And you have times where you're considering and they don't see see you and you know what that dance is like and it's really hard and you're interested and they're not. And then a year later they're interested and you're not. And it's like, God, what is up? Wouldn't it be amazing if God wrote the love story and not you? Like, we try to square peg around our hole. We try to make things happen. Wouldn't it be amazing for you to almost let go and kind of go, God, I can't because I'm going crazy. Once a person has uh, been considered, now this is the coupling or dating process. This begins. So what's the goal of a great date? And elect this critical word is to build respect for one another. Not that I wear my clean underwear and shave, which is our current culture. I had a student recently actually say this. Oh, having sex with people, that's easy. Going to coffee, that's hard. And I'm hearing that more and more in our culture. 
men who've had sex with five, six, seven, ten, twenty, thirty different girls, but they've never actually gone, asked a girl out on a date and gone on a date. It's becoming more of the norm, and you probably know what I'm talking about. Now, the goal of a date is to show and receive respect, boundaries. A great date is not centered around entertainment alone. It's actually around quality time, no matter what you do. But also in a safe environment. When I met Kelly through this equallyoke.com, we texted or emailed and called for a week, and then she gave me her address to pick her up on a date. I went early, because I'm early at everything, and parked around her house a few blocks away and waited and then pulled up to her house. And the first thing I did is chew her out. You don't ever give some strange guy your address. <laughs> I think I never see her again. Um, her, and his, her and her roommate living there as two single girls. No, we don't do that. And then I saw her again. But where you go matters. Where you hang out matters. You don't go to lookout point on your first date or second or third. Like, we're going to go make out. No. That's just dumb entertainment that's for you, and it's to take, not to actually build. It's not um, healthy. So thinking of this, these two words, dating and courtship, I want to give you a comparison of the two, because you've probably heard of courtship. Dating is observation. Courtship is actually depth. Dating would be no strings attached, actually. Courtship builds into its own vulnerability and, and going further there. Dating has a time allotment, and courtship is actually purposeful. We're heading towards something. Dating is an end in itself, and courtship is moving toward marriage. Dating is marketing, and courtship's the close. Like that one. Here's an interesting one. Dating is actually one or more people. If we're actually doing it where there's no strings attached, and we're not going home with each other and the courtship becomes exclusive. And both of these actually have to do with respect. So use the words dating or courtship or use these other ones that I'm talking about today. The goal is to actually build towards something from day one. That's actually the goal. A bad date can cost you time, money, and be an annoyance. You might be bored halfway through and you still have to pay guys and you just move on with your life. Or if you're like my sister, you just go on a date to get some free dinner. It's like, that's oh, just terrible. But a bad courtship can cost you a little piece of your soul. And some of you know what that's like too. It's not fun. It's not something you really want to go through. So here are three questions to ask again in this beginning kind of stage of going across this bridge. Do you have a regular quiet time? What does that look like? What is your relationship with the Bible? Are you involved in a Bible teaching church? And third, the desire to pursue the same type of spiritual life and ministry. Doesn't mean that you're going into the same things. But are what you're gonna what you're called to do and be compatible. If she wants to be a missionary to China and he wants to build a business here in America, you got a problem. And I've seen that many, many times. They're so in love. And it's like you're going in two different directions. You're psychotic. Oh, yeah, you're high. Okay. Oh, it's not okay. And so to go from considering, then that next step would actually be confirming. What is confirming? Now this is the engaged to be engaged. It's 
that we're actually, I actually prefer and I actually recommend pre-engagement counseling at this point. Not premarital counseling. That's okay too. It's better than nothing. Pre-engagement counseling. Once that ring goes on, your brain goes to wedding mode. And it's harder to... I'm so proud of the different couples that I've talked to that have actually broke off their engagement, called it off. It's hard, especially when it's two weeks before the wedding and everything's been spent. So proud of those. Usually the bride that I've talked them to here. Um, but pre-engagement, you have a much level head to really think through more clearly as to the future and why are we really... Uh, making a wise decision here. But another part of this stage, one that you, you may or may not agree, but I think is very, very important is this one. It's the airing of your dirty laundry. This is where you share your past. Your past sexual experiences, the past maybe harm or abuse, the past things that have happened that shape you. That you lay this out, and here's kind of a lesson to do with it. You share this, you have a, a kind of an appointment with them, and you share this, and then you leave, and you let them process. And here's the most incredible piece. If you come back together and they are able to forgive you, there's hope. But if they can't forgive you for what's been done with someone else and over here, they will not be able to forgive you when you hurt them. It's actually a critical test to find out, is this someone that's really gonna be, a person I can be in a relationship with because forgiveness, I call it forgiveness, the other F word. Because that's how we treat it. Like this horrible thing. No, it's one of the most beautiful gifts we can give and receive. It starts here at this stage, before we've gotten engaged. And I've dealt with the couples who are engaged, and he is finally sharing that, yeah, I'm really not a virgin, blah, blah, blah. This isn't going to go well. It, it's scary. It's like... My whole reality just got shattered. Or the now newly married couple who's dealing with the same thing. They just discovered something. My rule of thumb is I don't want anyone in my past to be able to come into my marriage and tell her anything I haven't told her already. Or vice versa. So we go there. We do this. At this stage, we're continuing to evaluate. There's still wisdom. Wisdom to properly evaluate their character their standard of moral righteousness and personality. And then what you see is what you get. The number one thing, though, that we can see that research shows prior to the wedding is this one. Conflict resolution. I say it should be easy and negotiable. I don't mean that you don't have fights. But if they're blow-up, knock-down, drag-out suckers... Probably only going to be worse in marriage. It gives you insight into what this is going to look like. It's not going to be the same. It's probably going to be amplified. So, what? How are you handling differences? How are you handling miscommunications? How are you handling handling expectations that aren't that you didn't even know you had, and now they violated, and you're having to talk through them? And this is another interesting one for you to think about in terms of this. Do you have the same standard of moral uprightness? you marry someone who's got a very different set of morals, you're going to be battling stuff that you honestly shouldn't have to battle. If one's saying, hey, let's bring pornography into our marriage, and the other one's like, I don't know what to do here because I don't have that same ethic, you've got a major conflict. Alcohol tends to be a big one. 
nowadays it's, hey, can we bring a third person in? It's becoming more and more normal. Sorry, it's not. It's not biblical, it's not healthy, it's not good, it's not wise. It's actually playing with fire. So part of this conflict resolution is is communication in general. These pieces are in that stage across, going across the bridge. Is there sensitivity there? Is there honesty? Are you able to talk through things? Are you able to speak up and tell them what you actually think and feel? Or do you feel like guarded and you're not able to go there? That's an indication that you might need to take a step back. And here's an interesting one. Always give her an out. Guys, I'm talking to you guys. This is something I did while I was dating Kelly. I was teaching this ironically. (laughs) That was fun to start off that way. Um, And I read this from here. The Book of Romance, a book by Tommy Nelson, a pastor in Dallas. He says, I strongly encourage every young man who is dating in a dating relationship to say to the young woman after four or five dates this. So after four or five dates, I did this every few weeks to my wife while we were dating. And I used these exact words. I don't know if you're the person God has for me to marry, but I want you to know that you are the type of woman that I would enjoy spending my life with. I like being with you, and I'm open to seeing if this relationship goes somewhere. If you want to back out of our dating relationship right now, then that's all right. You owe me nothing but honesty. You don't send this in text. (laughs) And I would say this often as we were trying to evaluate. But here's another piece. If you discover after a few days that a young woman is not the type of person, so guys, if you, if you discover this, you want that you want to spend the rest of your life with, tell her as gently as possible. Again, not through text. Be honest about your feelings and forthright about your intentions. You owe her that. Don't play games. What do I see all around me with couples? They're playing games. They have no intention to marry. They just like being able to touch each other. That's really what it's all about. And no. You need to have clear boundaries. This is part of those. Be careful not to share too much, too fast, too soon. Hey, hands. (laughs) You need to tell them to back off. Careful, they bind. They're meant to. It's not a mistake. And the desire means you're actually wired right. <laughs> you're healthy. The desire is normal. Boundaries. It's actually a key word here. It's called stewardship. What, why does God almost set this up this way? I mean, personally, I kind of would go for the prearranged marriage because that just sounds. It didn't go well for me earlier, so I was like, Mom and Dad, can you just set a date and have Sean show up? At the same time, I'm so glad that he, they did not, because they would not have picked well for me. Anyway, <laughs> what you do with your hands are absolutely critical. And there needs to be conversations, like vocally decide what are the boundaries going to be for us. Don't kiss until you're willing to be responsible for their heart. This is one you probably haven't heard before. My younger two kids have actually even made that commitment. We'll see what they do. They've like, you know what? I like the idea of saving that to my either wedding day or to where at least engage. 
It's one of the things I don't understand. We make out and even kiss. We get a prostitute will say, I'll do everything but kiss. Kiss is meant to do something powerful. It's meant to bond. It's also meant to awaken things, let's just say. <laughs> so really what you're doing is I'm going to kiss you and turn you on and then walk away. First of all, that's just me. <laughs> so maybe this is a boundary we might need to consider. That we don't just kiss anyone and it's the 200 and something person we're now dating and kissing. No, maybe not. Is there a chapter and verse I can point to that? Yes and no. When it comes to just purity in general, yeah. But not that says this specifically. It's your heart. It's the attitude of your heart that's going to be so important here. Too much of a good thing leads to resentment. That's actually what happens um, with the physical. Because it's premature. They're not yours yet. There's something about being married. There's something about why marriage and this marriage ceremony matters. There's a reason why to get married by the justice of the peace or um, elope, the divorce rate's higher. There's something about celebrating it and it being in the presence of others. There's something powerful about that. There should be an excitement regarding the future. And so then you get to this last C, kind of going across the bridge, committing. This is a short engagement. I love the couples that I do premarital with where they come in and they're like, we're engaged and we're getting married like in two years. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're nuts. And then they come back the next time. We're getting engaged this summer. Okay, that's better. <laughs> no. Why? Because you're probably going to do stupid things. Let's get into marriage sooner than later. Same for if you make them earlier. It's like, let's not play games. Let's get married. And let's move forward together. Is there a magical time? Or, no, there's not some specific. And different people might need to have different instructions for different reasons. Let me give you a, a guarantee. Shanti Feldman has found in her research that, first of all, the divorce rate's never been 50%, ever in history in America. That's a made-up concept that she traced it back to some predictions that have never come true. At the highest, it was 33%, which is amazing, by the way, because we've done a lot of scaring the young people, especially, into don't get married because one in two of you are in a divorce. Not true at all. And if you have these factors I'm going to show you, it drops into about 17%. But here's why. Why do we believe that the divorce rate is 50%? Because all of us know a ton of people who are divorced. And here's the, the connection I want you to make. We actually, we have this belief that, well, let me actually ask this question. How many people in America are gay or lesbian? What's the percentage? Hmm? Okay, I hear, see, I hear a three. One. Hmm? Statistics are everywhere. What generation? What place? Exactly. I mean, it's more than ever today, but it's also hard to know. Yes? It's close to like 12 or 15%. Okay, 12. I've even heard up to even 20. If you watch TV, it's 100%. But, um, yeah, it's under 1%. Now, add into non-binary and all these other stuff, but yes, the numbers are much larger than, but think about that. Under 1%, around even 
but yet all of us can identify people we know that are. So we just assume that 10, 20, 30 must be real. We do that with divorce as well, 50%. So think, we're not the brightest tools in the shed. None of us are. <laughs> so careful with that. So here's your predictors of a healthy marriage. First of all, are you involved in a local church? Your divorce rate drops from the 30s potentially down into the teens. Do you have a relationship with the Bible? Do you open that sucker? That changes your divorce rate. If you do not live together before marriage, every secular piece of research says, bad idea. Let's test things out. Let's see if we're compatible. No. Even marriages that come from that divorce rate is way higher. Most couples don't even get to marriage. Yet you walk away with scars, with wounds in your heart. So don't live together. <clears throat> and then it's your first marriage. But good thing, actually, second marriages actually aren't as high of a divorce rate as we used to say. I've even heard up to second marriages, 90% divorce. No, it's not at all. It's maybe in the high 30s. So that's encouraging, too, for those that are in second marriages. If you get married after the age of 24, the divorce rate's less. And you know that whole brain before, you know, isn't developed before 25. So. I think there's a ton of size of relief. Yeah. And so what's the, what's the difference here? After 24, you probably have a little more direction of where you're going. You know yourself a little more. And we don't care about the brain part, but that's important too. <laughs> but you tend to know more of where you're heading. My, when I met my wife, she owned her own house, and she had a great job, and she, had, she didn't know me. She was in a different life stage. I was the one that needed help. Um, and we were in a different stage of life. It's different than meeting in college. Um, you have a community of supportive friends and mentors. A lot of people don't have that. I have friends you make here could be lifelong friends. My wife still gets together with friends from college. Every few years we get together. And it's just been so beautiful to watch those friendships she has and that I have um, over the years. But here's the last one. College education. As much as we say bad, like almost talk down about college these days in our, in our culture, it's more the debt. Um, your college, having a college education drops the divorce rate drastically. What is it? Why? There's actually something about a liberal arts education where you're more well-rounded. It's incredible to think about that. And it shouldn't stop. What you do in learning shouldn't stop. We should actually be building on everything that we do, everything that we are learning. I... I'm taking classes every year. I'm constantly reading because I love what I do, but it's never done. And I think that's the fun part. So this is the model. That you want to go from connecting to coupling to covenanting. There's actually a process. And there are ways to safeguard yourself. Ways to be wise. Ways to do this well. And you're never meant to do it alone. What I actually tell some of my my college students at Corbin was like, some of you have a really messed up radar. Like you're only attracted to the worst guys or the worst girls. And usually it's because of trauma or something. But it's like, you need a committee around you 
that you don't, you're not allowed to make this decision. You need to have people that vet. And it's true up to you almost for all of us, is if we go to our best friend and say, hey, what do you think about this person? And they're like, I don't know. Do you trust them? Or why are they your friend? And you know who you can talk to and you know who you wouldn't listen to. Just you're, you're already thinking about them now. <laughs> There's one or two or three that you need to be able to go to and say, what do you think? When my wife and I sat down with this couple that she knew really well, and we said, we're kind of thinking maybe possibly getting married. They erupted in excitement. And my wife was like, if they'd even hesitated, she was gone. That's how much she trusted them. You, you need to have those people in your life. A small group leader, a best friend, someone in your life. So that you can actually protect yourself from yourself. Because back to that attraction thing, careful with that. Have people in your life that can say, eh, I, have, I have some questions. Because what I hear is the opposite of that. Friends that all disagreed but they kept quiet. And then they break up and they're like, finally, I hated them. It's not a friend, sorry. So have these people in your life. Get those things in that list. And, I, and you will have a much better chance of whenever God opens that door to actually build a healthy relationship. Um, a strong, biblically founded relationship. Which we can talk about that some other day. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert podcast. It has been an honor to serve. If you are struggling, have questions, or in need, Dr. Gilbert offers a free consultation for new clients. Check us out at healinglives.com to book a call. If this has been helpful to you, please share it, leave a review, and help us get the word out so that we can see lives changed, marriages transformed, and more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. The Healing Life Center offers online courses, programs, books, intensives, and other services to help you live biblically and well. Discover more resources on YouTube and in Dr. Gilbert's Healing Marriage Facebook group, The Healing Marriage.